So we want to look at uh, three things regarding Othniel. What, what can we learn from God's Word, who gave us this Word, about this man? What, what, what things come from this passage? Well, first of all, we, he is a man with a family. And that family is of some significance. And so it's important for us to note that because God notes it for us. God, God gives us a little bit of background about Othniel's family. So we need to pause and reflect what, what does that mean. Secondly, he is a man who judged Israel. What do we learn about this time period, this section where Othniel raises up against this king of, and I'm not going to do the Kushan thing again, okay? The king of Mesopotamia. But there is something else that, that I think as we reflect upon the life of Othniel and even that which God gives us, we need to look at. And that's that Othniel is a foreshadowing for us of Christ as well. First of all, then, his family. We learn from Judges 3, verse 9, that he is the son of Kenez. Now, we don't know much about Kenez other than the fact that he is of the tribe of Judah, which is no small thing. It's pretty important that as we think about in the foreshadowing of things that uh, this is the tribe that is given the leadership position. This is the tribe that Jacob, in blessing his 12 sons, gives that blessing to fall upon Judah that they shall be the ones, in a sense, to rule over their brothers. The star, as well, shall arise out of Judah, we are told in the book of Numbers. So over and over and over again, the fact that somebody would come from Judah is of significance. Points to us, certainly to Israel's great king, as well, David. So he is, his father is Kenaz. The next thing is, a man by the name of Caleb comes into the story. If you look at verse 9, the Lord raised up a deliverer for the people of Israel who saved them, Othniel, the son of Kenaz, Caleb's younger brother. Now it's kind of interesting, Scripture's just assuming we know this guy, right? Okay, we, we're just supposed to know Caleb. Well, yes, we should know him. Caleb is the faithful spy. If you recall back in the book of Numbers when uh, Moses sends out spies into the land of Israel, uh, 12 were sent out, 2 come back, Joshua and Caleb saying we should go in and possess the land for the Lord indeed will give it to us. Ten say, nah, we shouldn't. The people believe the ten. They end up wandering for 40 years. All die of that age category except for Joshua and Caleb. And so this is the same Caleb. So when it says, oh, he's related to Caleb, it's telling us something about him and telling us something about his family. What is a little confusing is, is he the brother of Caleb or is he the nephew of Caleb, right? Othniel, the son of Kenez, Caleb's younger brother. So does the Caleb's younger brother refer to Kenez or does it refer to Othniel? 
I don't think we could definitively say. I, I could bring out the, the ten books that I looked at, and they're pretty evenly split. Some give, nope, he's got to be the brother. He's got to be the brother. That's what it's referring back to. No, he's probably a nephew. Uh, it's more likely he's the nephew given the flow of the sentence. I don't think we're going to solve that other than to say he's a relative of Caleb either as the younger brother or the nephew. Either way, he is very closely related to this man, Caleb, who, who emerges from the scriptures as one of the most faithful men of the Bible, one of the courageous men of the Bible. Even if we go back now, okay, uh, if we go back to Joshua chapter 15, because you recall as Caleb being the faithful spy, as well as Joshua, they are given special land assignments. And in Joshua chapter 15, we read about how that happened. We read about how that took place. And Caleb, at the point in time of this passage, is no spring chicken. He's probably in his 80s. So as we read this passage, understand we're reading a man who is probably in his 80s at this time. So we're going to pick it up, Joshua 15, verse 13. According to the commandment of the Lord to Joshua... He gave to Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, a portion among the people of Judah, Kirath Arba, that is Hebron. Arba was the father of Anak. And Caleb drove out from there the three sons of Anak, Jeshai, Ahaman, and Talmai, the descendants of Anak. Why is that significant? Anak is what? He is a giant. He is one of the giants of the land. So, Caleb drives out three giants in his 80s. Don't tell me there's nothing for some of you to do in the church and in the kingdom of God once you reach 80. Right? Caleb's still driving out giants. And he went up from there against the inhabitants of Deber. Now the name of Deber formerly was Kirath Sefer. And Caleb said, whoever strikes Caleb Kirath Sefer and captures it, to him will I give Akasah, my daughter, as a wife. Now notice what happens. And Othniel, the son of Kenaz, the brother of Caleb, captured it. And he gave him Akasah, his daughter, as a wife. So we learn his father of Kenaz, he's related to Caleb in some way, and he is married to Caleb's daughter, this Aksah. She, she's the one who is now his wife. This is part of his family. He hears the challenge that Caleb offers. Whoever goes up and strikes this, he goes and does it. He hears the challenge. To take down this city in the name of the Lord. He answers the challenge. Goes forward. As a reward for taking the city. He receives a bride. For being faithful 
in pursuing the desire of Caleb, he receives, understand this, get this, he gets a bride. And the bride he gets is Caleb's daughter. So he's either marrying his cousin, because I know your minds are thinking along this way. He's either marrying his cousin or he's marrying his niece. It's the way scripture describes it. So we're left with that. But we're also given an interesting little insight about this Aksa, his wife. She's no timid woman. She is courageous, she is bold, and she is wise. Because she comes to Caleb, her father, and says, you know, you gave me a nice piece of land. Not bad. Thanks. Thanks, Dad. But I need springs of water. I need those upper springs as well. Now, some people think, well, what happened to Caleb? Where's, where's Caleb? Why isn't Caleb doing this? This is no failure, excuse me, this is not Othniel's problem. This, this is not a failure on Othniel's part, that he didn't stand up and he didn't go and see Caleb. This is the boldness of this woman that he has married. I, I just find it interesting that this guy who has so much courage and boldness to go after this city, to attack it, just like the father-in-law had, has a wife of great boldness and courage and wisdom as well. She doesn't sit back and wait. Hey, Anthony, why don't you go do this? It is her perfect right to approach her father and to ask for those upper courses of water. That the land that she has been given is productive. Hang on to that thought. Don't let that thought leave you. Right? So, that's his family. That's, that's what we know about Othniel's family. Now let's go back to Judges chapter 3. So they've captured the land. They've divided the land. And now we're sometime in the future. If we go back to the first part of Judges, we read that Joshua and all of that uh, era, generation, passed away. So we're into a new generation, which probably gives some idea to the fact that um, Othniel is probably more the nephew of uh, Caleb than the brother of, but be that as it may. What we're introduced to here is an interesting little passage because it introduces us to the fact that God purposely had left opponents. That not all the opponents of Israel had been wiped out. Some were left. And the reason why was to teach his people how to fight. That each of these tribes in their tribal allotment, as they go to that tribal allotment, now are called upon as a tribe to go and to push out the remaining pagans out of that territory. God purposely left some there. He didn't destroy them all. 
when we read back in Joshua, it's always the Lord going ahead. It's always the Lord going ahead. Israel's always in a mop-up operation because God has always gone ahead of the people. Now, God says, okay, now you're in your land, now you're settled, but I need you to be trained for battle. I need you to be prepared for the war. But what happens? The people fall into all sorts of sin. Not only do they begin to, hey, rather than kicking these people out, let's intermarry. I tell you what, I'll give you my daughter. Hey, maybe we can have a little bargain here and we can do a little business. Tell you what, I'll let my son marry your daughter and that way we don't have to fight over the land. We can just kind of evenly divide the land and so on. But notice what that compromise did. Rather than fulfilling what God had told them to do and the purpose that these nations had been left, which was to drive them out, go to battle, go to war, they began to intermingle. They began to intermarry. What does that lead to? Verse 7, and the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. What's the evil? They forgot the Lord their God. They forgot him. Imagine that. They forgot God. We're only one generation removed. One generation from the Jordan River party. We're one generation removed from the walls of Jericho falling. We are one generation removed from giant hailstones falling from the sky so that more fled and died from the falling hailstones than from the sword. We are just one generation removed from those hamstrung horses that we had a message about a couple of months ago. With God's great victory over that gathering of, what was it, 32 kings? And Israel just comes and kind of finishes up the job. One generation removed. And they forgot the Lord their God. They forgot Him. It's not they... They remembered him, they just didn't care. They forgot the Lord. He was no longer a part of their life. His commandments didn't matter. The sacrifices didn't matter. The priesthood didn't matter. The tithing didn't matter. None of that mattered. The holy days didn't matter. They forgot the Lord. They have no relationship with the Lord. And notice, it's the Lord, their covenant God. The one who has covenanted with them. They forgot all about him. But then add this. They forgot the Lord, their God, and served the Baals and the Ashtaroth. They forgot about God and gave themselves to Baal and the Ashtaroth. Pagan deities. Of despicable means of worship and behavior. 
This is who they are now worshiping. God then, Judges 3.8, sends them into captivity. Therefore the anger of the Lord is kindled against Israel, and he sold them. What an interesting term, isn't it? He sold them. Okay? Think of how purposeful. It's not he let them fall into the hands of the king of Mesopotamia. Or providentially things worked out so they were overcome. Or they went into battle and they didn't have enough forces so they were taken over. Look at the transaction. God sold them. Think of what God is conveying here. I dealt them. I entered into an agreement. I gave them away. I did not want them anymore. I sold them. I gave them over. Not to hold on to. For eight years that continued. For eight years. And it sounds like for eight years we don't hear a peep. Sounds like for eight years people are like, hmm, okay, this is our lot in life. This is where it is. This is what we do. Okay, we're sold into. This is our new boss. So now we listen to the king of Mesopotamia. Of course, they had forgotten the Lord. So what did that matter? Verse 9, but when the people of Israel cried out to the Lord, the Lord raised up a deliverer. And you say, wait a minute, I thought they forgot the Lord. God has this marvelous way of working in that when even as I referenced in prayer a few moments ago, Elijah, who is so despondent that he thinks he is the only one left, God says, no, Elijah, there's still 7,000. I still got a remnant who have not bowed their knee to Baal. There is still a remnant. There, there are still some. Oh, the vast majority of folks forgotten the Lord. But there's still some. And these folks, these faithful folks, Faithful like Joshua and Caleb. Who know the Lord. Who remember the Lord. Cry out to the Lord. 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 Notice it's not cry out to God. It's Lord. It's that covenant that they're drawing upon again. They're thinking about their covenant relationship with the Lord. And the, and the promises that God has made. And they're crying out. Lord. You said, you said, if we humble ourselves, you will hear us. Lord, we're humble. We've been sold into this hand of this king of Mesopotamia for eight years. Lord, please, please send us a deliverer. And the Lord, true to his covenant promises, hears. 
and sends them a deliverer. And who is that deliverer? Who is it? Othniel. Othniel is the man that God raises up. Do you know what the name Othniel means? means the lion of God. The lion of God. Interesting name, isn't it? God raises up the lion of God to now be the deliverer of his people. His strength, we're told. How, how is it that Caleb is going, or excuse me, Othniel is going to do this? Look at verse 10. The Spirit of the Lord was upon him, and he judged Israel, and he went out to war. The Spirit of the Lord. Is Othniel just a noble guy? No. Is Othniel just a great warrior? No. Is Othniel just really gifted? No. The only thing we note about Othniel is that the Spirit of the Lord was upon him. What makes Othniel any different from any other Israelite at this point in time? The Spirit of the Lord is upon him. We have no Spirit of the Lord upon anybody else, but the Spirit of the Lord is upon Othniel. Othniel, and it is that spirit of the Lord that is resting on Othniel that now causes him to take action. That spirit of the Lord doesn't cause Othniel to sit back and go, you know, let me contemplate the greatness of God. It doesn't lead Othniel to go, let me read five, six good books about God right now. It doesn't lead him to go back and to rethink the whole covenant promises of God. You know what it does? It causes him to go to war. He puts his faith in action. He goes. He does something. It doesn't just reside in his head. It resides in his life, in his action. Oh, that God would so work in so many of our hearts and lives to move us from thinkers about God to those who are motivated to action for the king. See, that's what Othniel does. The spirit, the lion of Judah, had the spirit of the Lord upon him, and he judged Israel, and he went out to war. You know what I always find remarkable about a lot of these Old Testament stories? It doesn't go into detail. He went out to war. What happened? He won. That's it. What more do we need to know? The Spirit of the Lord led him into battle, and he won. Why did he win? Because the Spirit of the Lord was upon him. It was the Lord's desire to deliver his people through the Lion of Judah, the Lion of God, and to deliver his people. And he did so. 
And the result? There is peace for 40 years. Remember yeah, the, the whole thing, and that generation passed away, and a whole new generation rose up that did not know the Lord. The number 40 in Scripture is always a generation. Here, under the faithful leadership of this man, Othniel, God, God grants peace for a whole generation. generation kind of interesting and, and I don't know if the statistic is true okay for sure but I, I was reading an article a couple of weeks ago thinking about Memorial Day and everything and it and it said from the start of our nation there has never been a generation that has not known a war And the land had peace for 40 years. A whole generation that had peace. And of course, when we use the word peace in Scripture, what does that mean? It means God's presence. It means God's blessing. It means God's material blessings. It means God's spiritual blessings. It means personal blessings. It means family blessings. For 40 years, they experienced the peace. Living under the judgeship of Othniel. There he is. That's scripture's presentation of this man. But there is this one more point, isn't there? And probably many of you, your minds are already working and you could probably fill in many of these blanks already. In what ways now? Think about this. In what ways does Othniel foreshadow Christ? What tribe does Christ come from? Judah. Where does Othniel come from? Judah. See, it is significant that his father was Kenaz, and that Kenaz is from Judah. That's not just a minor thing that, that God is foreshadowing for us in his word. Remember I also said before I even read scripture, he's the first judge. Here's the first one God puts on presentation for us in the word. And where does that judge come from? He comes from Judah. I don't think that's insignificant of picturing what is to come. Secondly, note his name. You were probably there when I said it as well, right? He's the lion of God. Who do we signify Christ as in the book of Revelation? But the lion of the tribe of Judah. You want to see, you want to see, see Othniel not in a shadow any longer? See, that's what Othniel is, right? He's just the shadow of the reality of Christ. The real lion of Judah. The one who goes out and makes war. The one who goes out and does battle. The one, oh, who through a battle earned a wife. Do you, do you understand that, that in that picture that you have back there in Joshua chapter 15, you really have a picture of that which Christ came to do? Who will go 
Who will go for my people? Christ, I will. I will, Father. What's the whole point of Christ's coming? But the bride. Us. The church. He dies upon that cross. For us, it's the bride price. It's what needed to be paid. It's Othniel going and taking Deber. It is Christ storming the gates of hell and taking us as his bride. But do you see the bride? Do you see who that bride is? Not some weak, timid thing but bold and courageous. Oh, that hymn we sing, bold I approach the throne of God. Why? Because I'm part of the church bought by the precious blood of Christ. I can be bold in approaching the Father. What did Paul tell Timothy? God didn't give us a spirit of timidity. He gave us a spirit of strength. He gave us a spirit of power. Who? The church. The body of Christ. It's not like we have this glorious head and we have this little, weak, wimpy little body. We're the church. That's just us. But we got a great head. No, the church also is strong, is powerful. God is within us. That's the picture. That's the picture. That's why Exa is so important in this story. It's his wife. It's the bride of Christ. It is the church of Jesus Christ acting in wisdom in this world. Keep your finger here. Go with me to the gospel according to Luke chapter 4. Let me give you another foreshadowing. Gospel of Luke, chapter 4. Go to verse 16. Luke chapter 4, 16. And he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it is written. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has acclaimed good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And the Spirit of the Lord was upon him. Othniel is foreshadowing the coming of the true Lion of God, Jesus Christ. He had peace. He had peace. We, we've had it in, in the book of Colossians so far. And, and I don't need to reiterate it, but is this not what we treasure in Christ? 
But there is peace regardless of the circumstances in the world around us. We are at peace with God. We're at peace. It's all right. If I die today, it's okay. I'm at peace with God. If I live today, it's okay. I'm at peace with God. And God's peace rests upon you and upon me today. But there's one more. I want you to turn to 1 Chronicles chapter 27. And with this we'll close. 1 Chronicles chapter 27. It's one of these kind of tucked away passages. It's one of those that uh, you probably oftentimes might skip over. You might just kind of look at it and you might say, oh, I don't know if this, this just looks like a bunch of names and numbers. And what can I gain from that? Okay. Well, this chapter is the list of those that David assigned and commissioned to be commanders of thousands and hundreds, to serve the king in all matters. There is soldiers. And then it goes down. There, there are 12 months and there are 12 divisions. Somebody is set up over that division. And you come to the last one. It's down in verse 15. Twelve. For the twelfth month was Haldai, the Netrophaite of Othniel. And in his divisions were 24,000. Othniel was a man with a legacy. A legacy of faithful soldiers for the cause of the king. Hundreds of years after Othniel died. My friends, you and I serve the one living and true King, Jesus Christ. And part of the legacy of Christ is that he leaves in this world, even though he has ascended, he leaves in this world his soldiers, his church, to serve, to serve.